So today's guest on the Keenan Yoga podcast is Tara Mitra. I always felt like I was a doer, a hard worker, a high achiever, until I met Tara. Born in Toronto, her Canadian mother married a father of Indian origin who'd come over as a student and found himself in the role of a local guru in the area. So, so it was her grandmother who started visiting her father as a guru and took her mother along one day. And when her mother asked of him what she should do with her life, he replied, marry me. So that's what happened. And Tara was born. However, the marriage didn't last long. And Tara grew up from two years of age in a household defined by the rigid tyranny of her stepfather, which found her moving out of home, out of uh, leaving home at 15, and then subsequently searching high and low for not only for work, but for a solution to the trauma that her upbringing had left her. After trying many things, she found her way into a yoga class. And however, by this time, she had worked her way up into management roles in the food and beverage industry, particularly qualifying as a sommelier. And she was now training uh, sommeliers. So she was in a really, really good position she'd worked up into. So fast forward a few years and Tara, in the end, through the yoga, finds herself in Mysore, India, practicing Ashtanga Yoga, where with a click of a button, famously, she sells her wine cellar, one that she's collected over the years, sourcing wine for, for different people from all over the world. And she sells it from her bed in Mysore to finance her study in Mysore for the next, next few years, I think. And this allows her to live and uh, she studies with Saraswati and then meets her partner now, Rob, and they're married and they've started a yoga. Uh, well, they're planning to start a yoga center in um, southern Italy. But before that point, they had a yoga and therapy center in Mysore, India, which they spent two years running. So Tara became a senior student and a close relationship with Saraswati, as well as meeting Rob and running this center. Tara now lives in southern Italy, as I mentioned, and teaches an individualized form of yoga therapy online, as well as chanting and Ayurveda, all of which she is thoroughly trained in, utterly passionate about study. Tara is now completing a training for the use of yoga with PhD, PSD survivors. Uh, as for mentioned with a partner, Rob, they plan to open the, cent- the Center for Wellbeing in southern Italy near Mount Etna. And if you want to see Rob, uh, then I've done a recent interview on YouTube with Rob as well. So anyway, welcome Tara to the Keenan Yoga Podcast. So welcome Tara to the Keenan Yoga Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, so where shall we start? Um, do you want to just tell me, uh, um, maybe like, pre-yoga and discuss like uh just growing up and you had a, a story of you know your childhood and, and and what brought you to yoga finally and uh you know this uh this very interesting background of Somalia although we won't talk too much about your wine background <laughs> now you're you're a yoga teacher um yeah just just, just tell me something about you sure yeah <laughs> Um, perhaps that wine catapulted me to yoga that we see. <laughs> um, well, I grew up, let's say, I grew up in Toronto. Um, my mother is Canadian. My father is uh, from Hyderabad, from India. And um, uh, they separated when I was quite young. And then I had um, a stepfather. And so I saw my father on weekends and, you know, he continued to always tell these beautiful stories and um his name is Gopala Krishna yeah so Mm. it's always Krishna for everything in the house so (laughs) 
um, all the stories of Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita, Mahabharata, all of these things. How did he meet your mum, by the way? Did he? But did they meet in Canada or in India? You know, it's, <laughs> this is great. It was in um, Toronto. So my father was studying, and he was. Uh, he's both of my parents have masters in anthropology. Right. Um, but my father was actually doing some studies in Yorkville at the time. There's a small street in Toronto called Yorkville. Not small uh, anymore, but at the time it was very underdeveloped. This is in the 60s. Yeah. And if you believe it, he was a guru in Yorkville. And so he was known as a guru and he had this big beard and his big wooden beads. And uh, people would come to him and ask him questions. And my grandmother met him. And happened upon him one day, and she just absolutely loved him. My grandmother was just completely smitten. And she went home, and she told my mother, who was 18, and she went back. My mother said she had a meeting with Gopala, she would say. And he, you know, she asked, okay, well, Gopala, after they had a discussion about their life, she said, what would your advice be for me? And he said, marry me. (laughs) And she did. Right. She did. What an incredible story. <laughs> but she didn't, it didn't last all that long in the end. It didn't last all that long. I think there's no. probably some cultural, you know, my father had just right. come from India. He's first generation Indian. And um, she would always say, and he'd do these studies and, you know, he'd always have people over at the house. And my mother was not used to it. Yeah? Generally right. in Canada, it's quiet. You may have someone call days in advance to say they're showing up but yeah, there was yeah, people yeah. all over yeah. the house and yeah. aunties and uncles and you know everybody I, I mean I remember everybody was my aunt and uncle I couldn't tell <laughs> I still can't tell who's who which is actually blood and, and not but um, I think it was just a lot of uh, a bit of a culture shock right, I think right, that was right. the biggest thing but mm-hmm. um, yeah so my, my father to this day has never said a bad word about my mother so it's quite sweet yeah. And he's still in, he's still in Canada. He's still in Canada. Right. Yeah. Now he's been in Canada longer than India. Right. So, yeah. And he never imagined I would ever go back to India. So I think it was a huge shock for him. Like he said to me, he said, "I spent my entire life getting you out of India. Why are you <laughs> going thing back?" You do when you're not always going back. <laughs> <laughs> so I think. Right, but, I mean, they, yeah. They. I think you. They divorced when you were. Two years old, did you say? Two? I was about was two. Right. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and then I think you know I don't want to kind of dwell on it, but yeah, I think you had a, a okay. difficult. I mean, as, as many of us have a difficult upbringing with a, a rather strict stepfather, right? That kind of set a precedent for later life. Let's say. Yeah, definitely. Mm. No, he was. Uh, yeah, he. I did have that strict stepfather, and mm. um, and I think yeah, I mean, growing up was difficult. Yeah, and I guess. At that for time, everyone, yeah. For everyone, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's all um, relative. Yeah, and I think having that childhood, though, I think, you know, very strict and, you know, children are to be seen and not heard and all of these different things. But at the same time, having three sisters where, you know, <laughs> when the parents went around, we were playing and creating, and then the parents would come home, we'd be running to clean everything up quickly. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so there's yeah. this, this complete dynamic. And then also my father house on weekends which was all about you know play and having fun and and dancing and things so there's this big contrast yeah 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 yeah, yeah. just a bit yeah this just contrast of just like the super strict and to completely uh wonderland you just can't imagine so much yeah so it's like somewhere in the middle Mm, which mm. would make sense so i think um 
that I think part of that and having that confused, not being able to think for myself and make decisions on my own, just being kind of forced what to think. I think this was something that I was struggling with and couldn't, Mm. especially being the youngest of four sisters, you know, four girls as well, just really trying to figure out what do I like and who am I and what do I actually think without waiting for someone to give me the answer. Mm. (laughs) And so I remember that when I moved to Vancouver, having that moment of like, I have to decorate my house and I don't know what I like. And my yes. sister's not here. <laughs> and so, I, still, I would still feel like that now. So as I, I mean, I always use, I have to say, I always um, use different resources to, to research my guests on the podcast. And I have to credit Harmony here for a great interview, uh, Harmony and Russell, obviously, for a great interview with you recently that I listened to. Um, so if Harmony is listening, which I doubt she is, thank you, Harmony. And and on, and on that, you mentioned, as I remember, that um, you left home at 15. Is that right? Did I yes. get that right? That's crazy. Yes. Hmm. So what, what happened? I mean, and, and you left school at the same time as well for a while, provisionally. Yeah, just for yeah. Yeah, yeah, for about a year. A so year. it must have been really, really adverse circumstances you, that you weren't happy with. You just, you just had to leave. Yeah, I think. Well, my 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 childhood was so traumatic, and so mm. it was very abusive. It was right. um, quite intense. Mm. And when I was fourteen, then all of that situation had stopped, and then we were sort of trying to figure out how to to move on. So. Um, from there and yeah we, we actually were it's it's quite it was quite messy and we had a huge trial and uh right anyways we mm. that was in the midst of the trial and the moment the trial had finished then my mother changed her her tune or just how she was really and you know quite quite honestly I, I loved my mom and we spent time in the kitchen when I was quite young and mm. just those magical moments but I we never had, we never were close beyond the kitchen. So that was right. our bond. And mm, so mm. I think what happened is everyone was going through, it's a lot of transition mm. that was happening. And, you know, we're teenagers. I, I was teenagers. My three sisters were all teenagers because it's four girls in five years. So quite close together. So that's crazy. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I'm, I've always been a little bit. <laughs> noble i stand up for what i believe and i stand up for what what i think is right and at that moment i i still would think it was right i just didn't feel supported and i mm. just felt there was uh, we were just not not meeting eye to eye and you know yeah. so, where did you go at leaving at that age and how did you support yourself I hung out with friends. I went to friends' houses. I was right. lucky enough to have some good, some very yeah. good friends. And so, um, yeah, I stayed with, I stayed with a few friends and supporting myself. I don't hate, you know, I, I would work at like a crystal stand and I'd do all these. The first job I ever had was a crystal. No, was it a crystal? Yeah, I worked at a crystal stand and then I started, uh, then I worked at a movie theater and things like that. And then. Uh-huh. That's the movie the theater. Yeah. yeah. Well, movie theater, I was popping popcorn, so it was the start right. of my <laughs> roaring career. <laughs> <laughs> Catering, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, so you completed high school, I suppose, and then, Absolutely. and then, yeah, so you went back because you left school for a while and you went back again, I think. And then, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I know that the theme of, of your life is definitely education and, and being interested in learning and constantly trying to kind of resolve and reconcile right and deepen your understanding and and so but how did you get into the uh the, the hospitality 
Yes. Well, yeah, I have a deep, a deep curiosity yeah, for, for life and anything that I'm interested mm. in. So hospitality, like I was, had mentioned before, my, my mother was an incredible cook. Actually, so was my stepfather. And of course, my, my stepmother as well. She cooked Indian, like the family masala. So everywhere we had this just huge dynamic of beautiful food all around me. So it often in Indian food. Yes. Yeah. My, right. my, you know, to marry a, the, my father comes with a, a family masala, right? So we all have to know how to make this, <laughs> this, uh, dish or the, the masala so that yeah, the flavor yeah. the food. So yeah. my mother knew it. And then my stepmother would cook, cooks incredibly. And my stepfather actually cooked incredibly well also. So we would eat Korean, um, Asian. Like my, com- my comfort food is either Indian or Chinese, to be honest. <laughs> Those are the two things. Um, so I just grew up around food and it was always, so life may have been difficult as a child when I was in my, my house that I was living in full time, not in my father's house, um, but my, my mother's house and stepfather, but there was always incredible food. That was just this beautiful comfort of mixed dishes from around the globe. Like you name it, it was, it was there. So it was oh, French, right. Spanish, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, incredible. So I had this love. I used to write my news with my mom when we were younger. She'd sit down and we'd have a dinner party and she'd be like, okay, what should we serve as an appetizer? And we'd start with all of these different, oh, yeah, wow. with melon. Right, so it, was in the, so it was in your kind of, your kind of, uh, in a mind to, to maybe go and do something like that, right? And, and you- Yeah, I think when I was a child, I found so much quiet and silence in cooking. Right. And I think then you went to restaurants and realized <laughs> nothing like that in cooking. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't yeah. stay in the kitchens. I did my I I did my chef uh, yeah, chef courses trained. and I did all the training for it. But then I decided not to actually go into the kitchen side of it unless I just had to help out for a minute or two. That I was in the front of the house all those years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And. As Somalia, you trade. I mean, you know, it's, it is an intriguing story. I know that you know it's it's okay. kind of polar opposite of uh, of, of of the general yoga student um, mm-hmm. to train in Somalia, but it's an, it's an incredible um, training because you have to have such an amazing mem- you know memory for dates and years. You know, I mean, Absolutely. yeah, every single year is a different. You know, a Cote de Rhone from one year is completely different to another, and then the areas and so yeah. and, you know, the and you have a kind of, the macro yeah, 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 yeah. And you have a kind of semi photographic memory. I think I heard you say, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 I, I suppose I wanted to get onto the subject just to kind of tell the no, story. Go ahead. Which, <laughs> I wanted to, just to just to tell the story about you um you selling your wine cellar from from bed in my from your bed in Mysore and, and uh, mm. which is such an amazing kind of little story isn't it and and then be able to support yourself for four years so I suppose the, the wines weren't actually obviously in your in your property right they were just online somewhere right and you just a click of a button and you you sold your whole wine collection and that yeah. gave you four years of living in Mysore yes yeah. yeah. that so, so you must have built up a pretty good wine collection Yes. Well, I was a sommelier for, I was in restaurants for 18 years and then two years consulting. So always in upper management. And then um, I was a multi-unit restaurant director, a sommelier, I was a Bordeaux educator. So I had, a, I loved it. It was beautiful. But my favorite part of it was all about the soil, the earth, the geography. Um, and like you said, year after year after year, everything was so, it, it's not static everything mm. and so much information and mm. I think that's why I liked it so much is because it was just fascinating and I loved I really loved to 
I'd go through the soil and pick up my hand and be like, wow. And the farmers, the growers, they were always the people I was the most interested in. Yeah, because uh, just seeing where what happens in year to year, like if it's a hard harvest, what's how do they make it happen? What are they doing to compensate for it? And very, very amazing. As an aside, did you travel to Europe at all for the wine or do you just stay in the new world? No, always. I, I traveled quite a bit. I was I a photo educator. So for three years, I've come to, to France, back and forth. around here. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of time in Saint Emilion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah. So a lot of macaroons. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm, very good. Yeah, baguette. Yeah, um, baguette. But yeah. that wine cellar you were asking me about. So while I was traveling, I traveled a lot. I traveled a lot for work and I traveled a lot um, because I was buying and just searching. So I'd travel the world and taste the wines and then bring back what I thought was really cool. Because right, so you were a buyer as well. Yeah, yeah I was okay. a buyer and then I was filling personal sellers as well. So yeah, the, right. yeah the budget was endless, really. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I had, while I was traveling along the way, I'd just collect them, like my little babies, and i just dust them off and put them in. <laughs> and I hardly ever drank them. i just every once in a while dust them off and look at them and then put them back. And so by the time I left, I had had this beautiful collection of these old crates that I collected over all the almost 20 Where did you years. store them then? You see, they're actually were physical. I was assuming you were buying them online, but they were physical and you had them in no, your house. They were physical. I had stored them then at the uh, Vancouver Wine Vault. I was right. Before okay, I there's some place to store them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about these things. To, yeah. But you never, I mean, just, uh, and again, as another aside, you never got into, I mean, I had a history, I mean, uh, not proud of it, but of, of uh, over, uh, from my Irish background, maybe over drinking, uh, yeah. you know, I got heavily into drinking, you know, due to some, let's say, disquiet in my own upbringing, in my own, you know, childhood. As soon as I could, I hit the, hit the bottle or the Guinness or, you know, like anything I could get my hands on, really. But you didn't really drink, you know, you, you didn't use alcohol that way. You, you were able to kind of separate yeah, I think, I think, you know, I mean, it's it's not the the best time to taste is 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's never the the greatest You're continually sipping throughout the day. I mean, even yeah. if I'm spitting it out, it's still getting into the system. But, you know, we drank, but I don't really have an addictive personality. Right, so right, right. It's not that. And it was always an art form. Like I would be the person that I'd, if I opened a bottle, I'd get out all the books and I'd read everything I possibly could, take all the notes I could before I touched it. And so I would only smell it and it could take an hour, an hour and a half until I could actually really understand everything there. I could think of textually and theoretically about this wine and the soil before I even touched it. Because I thought if I drank it, then it's over. So Yeah, that wasn't my experience at all. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, ah. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish it was. Um, but so how... Going back to the you know the background of trying to reconcile yourself from this upbringing and then you know Somalia and um, and then obviously we you know I just touched upon the fact that you you found yourself in Mysore. How did you get into yoga and then how did you how did that part of the journey go from from the yoga to the Mysore part? Yeah, no, that's a good question. You know when so because of that upbringing, I. <sighs> No, I didn't want to carry. Of course, I was carrying some pain and hurt and, you know, residual because it was such a long period of time of trauma, if you want to say. I'm not one for labeling. I don't really like to use labels, but it's also it is what it is, right? <laughs> a long experience mm -hmm. of, of um, aggression. So I knew that there was something in me that was hurt 
and I didn't know what to do with it and I couldn't figure out how, what to do. And my understanding was that at that time was I can either become my stepfather or I can Mm. become the opposite and I can heal from it and change and try to, I used to call it break the chain of dysfunction. And so I was very determined like I am with most of the things that I do. Um, I was determined to, to, to break this and see, okay, if I can heal myself then I can help others heal. And that's been my ongoing motto. And so when I was 18 years old, I went to every kind of therapy that there was, you name it, talk theory, the EMDR, I mean, whatever there was, I tried it. The EMDR didn't help because that's usually very effective. I mean... I didn't like it at all, actually. Didn't I thought you? it was very, oh, oh it was a trigger fest oh. for me. Yeah. Right, right, right. I've heard it very effective. And then, I mean, you know, and it's, I mean, and Bessel van der Kolk, who I interviewed here as well. He, I mean, mm. he, you know, I think he, he loves it. He raves about it. Yeah. 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 I think each person is individual. And I'm not sure if when I tried it, I was ready for it because for right. me, that moment, yeah. it brought me right back into the yeah. moment where I can, I'm also very, my senses are heightened as with the sommelier and being able to do those things. So I see it. And I taste it. I'm a visual listener, so it was, it's too much. And so if right. I can't, if to, for me to process in that way, it was just like, whoa, slow down. Right. Too overwhelming. So, yeah. Too yeah. overwhelming. How, how did you know there was something wrong? I mean, what were the kind of, I mean, it's not too personal. But, no, it's Because, I mean, you seem so sorted and, and so calm and clear. How mm-hmm. did you feel at that time that you knew something was wrong? I mean, for me, I mean, for example, you know, it was clear i was suffering a lot of panic and anxiety and the only thing that would calm me down was to have a drink you know as soon as i had a drink you know i felt relaxed so you know it was a rescue disaster really yeah yeah no it makes sense i think you know there is just these i mean when i was younger i was bizarre like when i was 16 i'd find myself scrubbing the bathroom at two in the morning <laughs> like right, this isn't okay. normal like I had mm. some strange like OCD I don't know if you want to whatever <laughs> I just had mm. these strange things I was doing and I'm like why am I and I was crying like scrubbing mm. the floors with a toothbrush and just mm. crying and so there's obviously there was pain within mm. so I was I would cry a lot there's a lot of release and a lot of right. um, mm. sadness and mm. I just was like this is it's heaviness and it just sat there and I'm, mm. I can feel the heaviness and you know I know it's 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 not part of me. It's not me, and it was actually just brought in by someone else. And so I have to be cognizant of okay, whatever this is, I need to be able to release it, you know, and not just to like okay, I have to get this out. It's just look at it, see how it is, process it, or be okay with whatever is residual instead of you know just it has to go, it has to go, which is what I was doing when I was younger and mm. going through all those different talk therapies and all those things. I'm not. I'm not sure if, if how much it did, because, you know, now I think about it and maybe it did. It probably, I shouldn't say that because each step was paves the way for the next step. So perhaps those were, those were great moments to be able to allow me to get to the next level of even trying EMDR or even trying, you know, somatic uh, healing and all the different movements. So I did these types of, I was also in management. I started managing, managing when I was 18. And so at the same time, I started reading all of these psychology books. So I was self-studying psychology as well. And that was helping me to understand. And if I, it's like any kind of uh, psychology, right? You start to understand it and then you can apply it to what's happening within life. But there has to be some sort of a, a aha moment or like an experiential moment of, oh, okay, 
here's what it means, or it's just this pie in the sky and it doesn't link to anything. So I think I was trying to figure out how to link it into releasing within my body. And I didn't, yeah. you know, because just talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, I don't think sometimes it doesn't help. I think it all connection. Yeah. And you got into yoga through feeling that there was something that was deeper than you could talk it out. I mean, that was my experience anyway, that, you know, we're kind of like, okay, I've done all the talking and everything kind of remains like, I, I see what's there. Like I can kind of, you know, I can clearly talk a good game here. Like I can tell you what's wrong, you know, but nothing is changing, you know, not, yeah. and there's something that feels like it's coiled, coiled somewhere in the body that needs to be, you know, seen to, or, you know, um, yeah. is that, was that your experience of coming to yoga? Yeah, I mean, I, I went to yoga because I was just working so much. As you know, the restaurant business can be really yeah. trying. And I mean, God, I was probably working 80 to 100 hours a week. And I was tired and I had a big staff. And you know, it was pretty much everything was on me, usually all the responsibilities. So I I just needed to relax. I thought, okay, I'll go to this class. And I was living in Whistler and very sweet girl she taught us a, a little yin practice or something like that and I just felt so good I was in heaven I laid down in Shavasana I was like this is this is incredible and I just kept going and then you know just from that again my curiosity got peaked and I just kept going continued and mm. for the first five years I, I was traveling a lot with work so I would just go to whatever class um that I enjoyed, which eventually I realized was all based on Ashtanga. Yeah, right. so I would go to all those different classes. And comes back there in the end. Yeah. It all went back there. And yeah. then when I found that, then I was like, ah. And I was living in Sonoma, and then I found Johnny Smith. And then his was buddy, Tim there? Miller. Yeah, he's in Sebastopol. Right, okay, I didn't know he was up there. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, I thought he was in California. Yeah, right. that's that's California. Yeah. So no, so no, right, so you moved from Whistler. So no, right oh, down. I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. I'm just getting confused in the in the life story right now. So you sorry, sorry, from, yeah. Right, <laughs> it's, it's, happening, it's all happening too quickly. Then you were in Sonoma, and then, and then so you, you practiced so from, yeah, yeah, so from Whistler, yeah. I went back to Vancouver, and then eventually I went okay. um, down the coast. Yeah. Just kept going yeah. warmer and warmer yeah. and warmer. Yeah. yeah, fair enough, yeah. Right, and then at a certain point, you decided to go to Mysore, uh, yeah. And uh, but you didn't go originally to any of the Joyce family, did you? You went somewhere else and organ and organised the whole um, the whole program <laughs> for, for, for for another for another yoga studio in Mysore, I think. Yes, I had been practicing for a while, and uh, yeah, I I went to some uh, some teacher training, right? Mm. And um, when I got there, yeah, it was okay. It's okay. They they did the best that they knew, and it was just yeah. My, the, that that chef in me and the organization. Yeah. I was like, "Do you want some help?" I was like, "I was like, okay." He's like, "Yeah, what should we do?" And I'm like, "I'm just going to rewrite your menu here and take out some of the dosas." And it's <laughs> just so funny because that Teresa, my wife, would have done. You know, it's just so reminiscent of something that she would do as well. You know, like, and also the scheduling is a lot. The scheduling is not working. You know, you need to re <laughs> reschedule the pro. It's just that yeah, makes yeah, me. Yeah, they were asking. I was just like, mm. it. It was. Yeah, I think it's just because most people were beginners and I had already been practicing and so I already knew that sequences and yeah. everyone was still just beginning and so I was a bit restless mm. it was okay it was okay and um, that's yeah they were happy I mean it was nice <laughs> we enjoyed ourselves and you stayed and there then or you came back and you went back again how did that transpire 
Um, I, I, I did the whole training with them. I stayed and, you know, we right. became friends and yeah. I mainly went to a lot of the temples and I was doing panchakarmas and studying Ayurveda and doing things like that. So I stayed for the month and then I went back and then, right. yeah, Johnny Smith was like, you learned this in Mysore? <laughs> I was like, oh, because I had the, the transition wrong from um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm completely blanking. Yeah, <laughs> But why didn't Johnny tell you in the first place? You probably want to go to someone of the Joyce family. I, I actually wasn't practicing with him yet until I came right. back. Okay, right, okay. And then he's like, well, you said you went to Mysore and then you were doing something. Like, oh. <laughs> exactly. Right, I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he did the beautiful, sweet, old-fashioned thing the next year and he brought my uh, and one of our friends Susan's uh, applications with him to Mysore to try to old hand submit them the old way and it didn't go over well. So oh, really? Get in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so very oh, interesting. You're right, right, right. You're trying to take it. I'd never heard of that before. Right. Yeah. So you just applied online like everyone else and then the end got in. Yeah. And you, but you, is that right? Yes. Well, I had, I had already met Sherrod a few times in, in um, California. So I practiced with him in uh, San Francisco and practiced with him in Los Angeles and mm. then, um, so I applied in practice with Saraswati my first time in Mysore. Well, first time at the at KPJ in Mysore. Why was that? Just to, due to the being the summer, or was it a particular reason? It you was Saraswati. Um, it was summer. Yeah, it was yeah. summer, and then it was also so I hadn't got in in the winter time, and then I had to rearrange yeah. my entire schedule again. And then I said, you know, I'm just going to go. And I had a friend that had just been there with Saraswati, and she absolutely loved her. And she said, you know what, T, just go. You'll enjoy it. And I went. And, you know, truthfully, Sharat was still there anyways. And he was, you know, he, he, they, that's kind of, they were still both in the shala. He would come and talk to me all the time. And I was trying to do my citizenship. And he'd always ask me every day, how's it going? How's the OCI? And, you know, he he was very helpful and um yeah, it was. It's it's nice to see them together in the shala. I like that quite a bit. And at the end of that season, that I had said to Saraswati, I thought, oh no, here's the. I have to have this conversation because I've been with her for now four months or something like this, practicing. So you stayed there for four months, and at what point did you sell your wine center and just think I'm going to change my life here? Oh, that wasn't. That was a little bit later. So that yeah, was okay. another. Yeah, yeah. So. That was probably into the after about a year mm. yeah, of being right. there. And so I had just said, you know, I went into Saraswati and I said, Mataji, because I had already planned to practice with Shurat and I had already talked to him and he was mm. expecting me and, you know, had the conversation. How many times have you come? And all these, these things. <laughs> and I thought, um, well, Mataji, I know you're supposed to have one teacher and I've been practicing with you and you're not supposed to switch in between the teachers. And I said, what should I do, Mataji, because I'm supposed to practice with Sharat. And she looked at me and she's like, she comes in really close and she's like, you're right, Tara. Very good. You're my student. You stay with me. <laughs> Done. That's a yeah. clear answer. Yeah. If you want to, if you want an answer. Um, very clear. Yeah. yeah. But you became, Seriously. Yeah. And you became very close close with Saraswati, right? From my understanding, again, of listening to the Harmony's podcast, you yeah. really, how, is that, do you think because of your background as, as you know, an Indian or why, what, what, how did that transpire? Because I mean, in the end, I was kind of confused myself almost because 
you know, having spent a lot of time in Mysore, everyone knows that it's, you know, everyone's trying to, or many people, not everyone, trying to kind of get closer to the family, right? And it sounds like your experience of almost kind of being in and out of the house all the time. It's like yeah. many people would give their two back teeth for, you know, the closeness you had to to uh, to the family. Yeah. yeah. So beautiful. No, I just, I, I think it was just so natural. Yeah, we just had a nice understanding and just something, I mean, for the first two years, it was just this, I just this magical, like it really, I think back of it like that because it was just, it really felt like there was other people around, of course, but just, I would always sit next to her throughout the time, anytime it was quiet and she would tell me all kinds of stories, like just giggling. We would giggle, we laughed, we cried, I cried, she cried, like we just shared everything. And she would even say that she'd look at me and she's like, I don't know why I'm telling you. And I said, it's okay, Mataji, it's safe, like it. I won't do anything with that information, but she taught me everything, like all the truth. Like, same, because I would love to hear. <laughs> <laughs> like all the different things, like after class, she's like, hurry up, wash your feet, wash your feet. Like, so all of the different things, it was just very, very sweet in every single festival. And you know, she would talk to me, tell me, and tell me what to do and check what I've done. And but then she also checked on my my life socially like who am I spending time with what oh, really? am I doing hmm. yeah she really was asking she so I didn't feel like when I think about okay how how I was practicing I mean she really took a huge interest in my life and hmm. every part of it and was checking that I was actually a good teacher she would always who did you do what did I eat like everything <laughs> she wanted to know Right, so, so you didn't like, have a regular experience of Mysore, or, you know. I didn't have Because we know if you're the general yoga students are kind of eating, a, you know, I don't know, green leaf or the sun star and going out, you know, on a Friday <laughs> night for pizza and drinks and, you know, yeah. God knows what else. And you, so your life in Mysore was a very different experience, right? Very, very different. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was quite beautiful and, yeah, very peaceful and, you know, all the, yeah. We I even went to temples with her quite often and, and we had a very nice, nice time together. And yeah. If she allowed you to socialize or with, only with certain people? I, well, she, no, if, uh, if she didn't approve, she just. Right. She wouldn't say, mm. she would just, mm. <laughs> more like this. So I'd know already. So, I mean, we, I, I wasn't actually crazy social anyways. And she'd already mm. knows half of the time she knew what I was doing before I even told her. So even if I didn't tell her something, she knew. Yeah, it's just like that. That's kind of the the Indian way of life anyways. Most people know everything about everybody before it's happening <laughs> or while it's happening. So so how she knows. But were mainly, you, I mean, she was... Were you staying all that time or did you go back and forth? I stayed, you know, in the off season. Like the, the, the shallow would close for about one month, two months or something in between. Then I would I'd usually travel. In the beginning I did and in the end I didn't really travel very much, maybe just within India. Because at that time right. when we were practicing with URAG and other teachers as well, so we'd go, we'd do that. But um, no, I would, I would go back to to California mainly or Canada just to see friends and family. Right. Yeah. And you really finished just, the work. You weren't, you weren't working anymore. You're just living off well, your wine cellar. Uh, living off my wine cellar at that point, yeah, yeah. yes, from my bed right. in in uh, Manju's old room in uh, in Mysore. I clipped the send on my cellar. Yeah. Which was very good that I saved that because, yeah, it's, it afforded me four years of living in India. That's a brilliant story. And, and, and how was uh, Saraswati as a, as a teacher? And I think she was, you know, 
again, my experience is different and I can only speak from my experience. Mm-hmm. Of course. And, you know, for, for me, she was very sweet and very tough. Um, mm. I think most I, people would say the same. Yeah. <laughs> My small experience of when she used to work, you know, with Starby Joyce, it used to be uh, Starby Joyce on the on the stage, and then you know, every strategy and and um, sorry, strategy on the you know, like going around the room, and you know, and so I had a quite a few adjustments from from Saraswati. I'd say firm and and you know, um, clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was she was sweet. I mean, I tell you what, she loved to talk. I, I said it on another podcast. I think my experience of um, having coffee with when I was invited one time to to go up and meet Patawi Joyce and Shrap kind of went off to the side. And he was speaking to the workmen that were doing something on the house. He was kind of not interested. Patawi Joyce was at that point rather old, and he was just wandering here and there, really. So he wasn't really. Yeah. I couldn't really talk to him. So we were kind of stuck there. Um, and Sarasvati happened to walk in. So it was like, oh, God, you know, it's lucky. I think, you know, there was a couple of aunties or someone. There was a couple of other people around. Oh, Sarasvati, hi. And she sat there for like 40 minutes because when she found out I was interested in cooking, then she's explaining all these, um, well, you know, all the recipes and stuff. Because, you know, wherever we travel, I always do all the cooking for Guruji. And, you know, you do this. And she's very, very, very sweet, you know, which is different to my experience of her in the Charlotte, I have to say, where she was a bit stern and a bit more firm. Yeah. 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 She has both sides. And, you know, of course, I, th- I think at some point she was tougher on me than most. Yeah. And I think it was, I, I know why, because she knew I was capable and she knew not that everyone else wasn't capable. Of course they all are too, but I think it was just because I was there all the time. And when she said stay with You're me. always assisting. You're assisting. Yeah. Cause that's, I think that happens differently with Saraswati, right? Because we were assisting with Sharat, which kind of only have to do it once. Once. And, and it was only like a small, little... yeah, like yeah. a small window really. It was quite easy. And people that were, you know, Goody goodies, you know, they would they would always go and ask again. You know, they would always yeah. do it again. I have to, I, I didn't have to say <laughs> once was enough for me. You know, you know, because I was working the rest of the year doing that yeah. work. You know, like so, yeah. it's kind of happy not to do too much in the Charlotte. But um, you know, it was a small window. I remember like an hour and a half or two hours or something, and it was tough because Shrek was, yeah, he would uh, he would get involved, and you know, there was a story that I think you told of um of Saraswati. So you know, not like that, and then you do it again, and there's it's unclear what you is wrong and then it's like no not like that and you think you did that anyway you kind of think that's kind of what I did you know yeah. not like that you know <laughs> yeah and you had the kind of a couple of those stories with Saraswati but my point was you were you were practicing and assisting all this time during during a number of years right so you must have really had an incredible learning experience so, absolutely you know. yeah definitely I mean not only with Saraswati but also just learning the human body I mean, to be mm. able to see that many bodies, mm. literally thousands and thousands and thousands of bodies, um, I learned so much. I learned so much about anatomy. I learned so much about um, psychology, the human mind, just watching people in the situation and watching people, just the different dynamics, right? Just watching how people respond to being in this room. And I mean, just just fascinating, absolutely positively fascinating Um and the motions and the capabilities and the impossibilities of the body and the over and possibly, you know, possibilities. And then once, um, once I met my husband and then we opened the clinic, then it was even more so just about 
you know, just the human function and the human body. And, and he's, a, always, he's an osteopath, right? Rob's he's an osteopath. A, a chiropractor, close. Chiropractor, uh, right. Yeah, similar. A, yeah. a, chiropr- a bit more physical, the chiropractor. So a bit more yeah. cranking. Yeah, yeah, and he's a Gonstead <laughs> chiropractor, so it's not, it's not so, so much crazy. Yeah, but yeah. I'm looking around, but I have had a chiropractic treatment for work. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely uh, quite intense, let's say. Um, yeah. And so he opened the clinic and he, in Mysore, and then you joined him, and, and then you were working together in that capacity. <laughs> Yes. Well, well, you would you would you would kind of uh, refer your students from the shala to him. So there's a kind of perfect companion. Work, it was somewhat really. like that, yes, because um, we I helped organize and just put a team together because we had um, Rob was doing the chiropractic, and then we had Doctor Padmini, so she was doing Ayurveda. She's just phenomenal, and then we had two massage therapists, and so this. The combination of everything and I would teach yoga as a therapy and the combination worked quite well and a lot of people were were struggling and suffering I mean that's the that was the interesting thing is that Rob has seen hundreds and hundreds of of uh yogis yeah or practitioners right and their bodies and understand the body types and it's just very very interesting and then teaching I met him at a scoliosis workshop and mm. for me, that was fascinating. So then, of course, when everyone did uh, Pashimathanasana, then I was like, I'm just looking at everyone's back. <laughs> Went through this moment of, okay, so how is it? So I think for me, it was, you know, meeting Rob and being in that that space. It went from, you know, it's always been philosophy, chanting, um, asana, but then this entire other side of it starts to come into play because I watched a lot of people being able to do things, but I also lost, watched a lot of people falling apart. Yeah, I saw a mm. lot of things. I saw a lot of injuries. I saw a lot of people pushing themselves a lot, way too hard. Yeah. Mm. Um, when I know that they've just been at the clinic and I can't say anything and yet they come back in. <sighs> Yeah, and they do the same thing again. Yeah, what do we we having a conversation? Something like, weren't we just talking about that? Yeah, I'm just like, uh, and I can't say anything because I'm like, oh, I. Well, that's psychology, then, isn't it? You know, that's a different subject. But but does your does the anatomy inform your teaching now, and 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 how do do you use yoga therapy? as well um, it does definitely I mean, I think anatomy yeah. is, is because you're teaching mainly one-to-ones aren't you since the pandemic you've been teaching one-to-ones online more right yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. i started teaching a lot of chanting um yeah yeah my my students started asking that so that was one thing and then the one-to-one started um because i was also studying yoga therapy so the the you know i think it's such a completely different thing so i'll back up for a second and say Mm, mm, mm. i started studying so after i was in the shala for such a long time and seeing all these different things so not i mean everything has come from the mind right you wouldn't be pushing yourself so hard in the mat if something wasn't going on in the mind that's saying hey that's Mm, i need mm, to push i need to what is that like is it you know do I, is it craving? Is it aversion? Is it, you know, greed or whatever it is, right? We don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. One of the antarayas or <laughs> something's working. <laughs> so I think at that point, I, I just was looking around and I'm like, can I actually help any of these people? Because I see so many people in pain. 
And so many, there's so many people I picked up off the bathroom floor crying. So many people that are arguing in the office. So many, I mean, everything I was in it all. I picked them up. I'm like, okay, you can't talk to Saraswati like that. I'm like, come on, let's go for a little walk. <laughs> She's like, you tell them, Tara. I'm like, okay, ma, I'll tell. <laughs> and so I think, and it's and it's not. It's just an emotional, right? It just becomes everything mm, so mm. heightened when you're in this mm, space mm. all the time. And, and I think that's just what happens for people. It's just this, you know, whichever opening happens. But I started thinking, you know, if someone comes and they do have serious back pain or they do have, you know, severe knee pain or um, hormonal imbalances, can I help them? Can I really, really help them? And, you know, I knew that that answer was no. I couldn't. I could say maybe okay. just kind of teaching them the farming series wouldn't be enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, when most women were losing their periods, yeah, yeah, and still are, it's just like that's, yeah. that, that, that's telling. You still, you you see that as quite endemic, do you? Oh yeah, most right, there's right. a lot of women are losing their periods when they're practicing. Right. And so, and why is that? It's perhaps yeah, it could be a multitude of things, right? Incorrect breathing would be probably number one and then also diet yeah, if the body's uh, not strong enough and weak and the diet's not um, fatty enough and nutritious enough and then all of a sudden it's just being dehydrated completely and also bandhas incorrect use of bandhas and so the combination of it all can yeah really alter the cycle it's just, it's, you know, for me, I don't even talk about pandas for years. It's just like, don't worry, just, just leave that alone, <laughs> just breathe. Yeah, yeah. I think if really thought of it's because people love you refer things to what they know already, and I mean, the the the, the idea of the bunda is, it's a subtle. It's a lot subtler than kind of gym work, which is just yeah. kind of like doing a sit up, you know. So, yeah. I mean, for yeah, I say like. I might, you know, I admit myself that I think for the first 10 years, for me, bundles were squeezing my abs as hard as I could. And that, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really do much apart from, you know, make you a potential kind of hernia uh, candidate, really. Yeah. So. Well, the old, the old uh, mistranslation of the type your anus doesn't help either of that. Uh, yeah, probably <laughs> right. Just, everyone's yeah. like, yeah. it's like, not that tight. It's just like a very subtle <laughs> lift. <laughs> So I think a lot of it just gets confused and, and mistranslated. And so I've just seen so many different health issues. And so I wanted to mm. go further. So then I started studying um, yoga as a therapy. So yoga therapy, traditional yoga therapy in uh, Chennai with um, in the lineage of Krishnamacharya. And so right. I just finished that. So if all goes well within 12 days, I very well may be a yoga therapist. So... <laughs> Exclusive. Yeah. And you also studied Ayurveda as well, right? Yes. Well, I mean, traditional yoga therapy and Ayurveda go hand in hand. Oh, they go together. Right. So it's part of it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Padmini, who I was talking about, Dr. Padmini from Mm -hmm. Mysore, her mother is a yoga therapist and she was a student of Krishnamacharya directly. She was my first teacher in yoga therapy. So it's all linked. If you look at the Mm -hmm. Mohans, their son is a, a Ayurveda doctor as well. So, why does it go hand? Why does Ayurveda go hand in hand with yoga? It's just the well, the the sister science, right? It's like how do we yeah. the, the dinacharya? Like how are we keeping ourselves healthy? Because it's not just one thing. Yeah, it's like how are we? Is it, if I eat perfectly, but then I don't do any exercise, yes, it's not going to work. Or if I really, really just put all my effort into exercise and then I eat pizza all day long and that's not going to do it so it's this concept of just from from morning also, to the night fo- 
the focus on the individual, right? With Ayurveda, that they treat the individual as, you know, as a different, it's each individual as a different constitution, right? That's having yeah. a different dosha interrelated interrelated with external circumstances, which is particular also to them, right? So mm-hmm. it kind it's of roots, yeah, it kind of roots the whole of yoga into an individualized therapy mm-hmm. rather than what it's kind of become for a lot of us, which is a generalized prescription. You know, just like a Western yes. medicine, right? You you yeah. take practice, which means like just do the primary series. Everyone does it the same. You know, you ought to do it the same, even you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and any understanding of Ayurveda, I believe, would be suggestive that really yoga is used to be used individually for that person, as diet varies for per- from person to person, depending on their type. And right, yeah, absolutely. Well, especially I mean, same as yoga, like yoga. Yoga therapy, yoga as a therapy is the exact same way. Yeah, you just treat the individual, treat the person in front of you for how they are. Yeah, mm. and it's never you're never labeling a condition. It's the person in front of you, not this condition. And because everyone will manifest that same condition differently. And so I love um, I love studies. A perfect example. I was my research studies were on post traumatic stress. Yeah, mm. um, and. You know, I had nine students all together, and each one of them had a very different response to the same thing that happened. Yeah, from psoriasis to, like, anxiety so deep that you can't leave the room, Mm. Um, just, like, crippling. And so it's just just fascinating and eating disorders like all of these different responses Mm. to to the same situation. Because we're so individual, we can't teach in blanket teach. Yeah, and so I mean that's why I love Mysore style classes because you know this way you can alter it right for the person. But that is what yoga mm. therapy is. Is like Vinny yoga is all completely looking at the person and what's happening, and it's mainly you know what's happening in the mind because what's happening mm. in the mind is going to manifest in the body. Mm. So. Presuming you don't teach Ashtanga yoga to, to post traumatic stress, or do you? How I suppose I'd like an ex- like you to maybe give an example of how you use yoga as a therapy. It's banded around a lot, like yoga therapy. A lot of teachers say yoga therapy, yeah. and then they end up just teaching exactly the same. You know, like no, how, right? yeah. I think there's it's so if someone comes in for a, a session on yoga therapy, it starts mainly. I have a complete pre questionnaire, and I'll ask them everything about you know, from diet to lifestyle to past injuries, everything. So that this way, when they come in and I do a full scan, yeah, double checking that if one shoulder is raised or if the Achilles is folded in or out and a lot of things are happening in the body and they won't realize. So I have hip pain, but hey, my foot is turned out and they may not notice it. So we do a full scan. So, and then on top of that, um, anything else also parents, yeah, asking what's happening with the parents, any of their history, um, and of course, there's much more to it, but that's a very basic overview. So we ask them that, and um, and then I meet with them and talk to them, have a little bit of a discussion, and then check some movements, check their breath. The breath is the most important thing in yoga therapy, and and to understand a person's breathing is to understand everything. Yeah, mm. most people don't breathe correctly. It should be taught in school, I believe. <laughs> the majority of people are not breathing. Um, How do you teach them to to breathe better? It depends on that person. There's so many right. different techniques. Yeah. So if someone has anxiety or they have upper chest breathing, I'm going to probably get them to bring their hands to their belly and teach them to do some lower belly breathing. 
breathing into their hands because if this is coming up, yeah, mm. we, we want to get out of that. And actually, you see that a lot in Ashtanga. You notice a lot of people are upper chest breathing, and then there's. Mm, mm. And so this is the same thing. So it's how do we bring the air further down and just to come into more of the parasympathetic for that person, right? How can I work with calming the mind and what else is happening within that person? And so it's, is there acidity? Is there, um, you know, Ayurveda will always work with Agni. So you're going to work with your digestion. If the digestion is not strong, then that's the very first thing. So we fix the digestion. If the digestion is weak, everything else will be weak. So we start mm. with that. So we start with digestion. You start with everything else. Yeah, and then I don't change to it depending on the person, right? So each of them are individual. I have some people that I only work with diet, and I have some people that, you know, will only want to do asana and not talk about their diet. That's okay, but eventually they will. <laughs> After one year, I've just, you know, one girl is just like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, no problem. But a year later, now we're working on that. And um, how do you, um, for people, many people that have digestive problems, it just because me, have you got any very basic recommendations for kind of, Raising the digestive fire, the agony, strengthening yeah. the digestion. Yeah, I think, so. well, yeah, a lot of people do. And again, it's so mm. individual. But, mm. um, the, you know, if somebody has digestive problems, I would definitely say stay away from raw foods. They're harder to digest. Right. Um, also drink and cold. Yeah. Not like ice, ice cold, anything like that. There, it's also going to slow down digestion. So you want to drink warm things, have warm, soupy things. Um and not hard, anything that's hard to digest. Yeah. And again, depending on your, your constitution. So generally, if you're going to have a lot of lentils and legumes and things, they're heavy, they're hard to digest. Mm. And mm. so if you have really bad digestion, then an Ayurveda, they always say have kanji, which is like this very watery rice soup. Yeah, but as a vegetarian, do you do you get, where are you getting your protein if you're not using the beans and the, and the legumes? Nuts. I have a lot of nuts. I have a lot of nuts and seeds. Nuts, and, right. Okay. Yeah. A lot of greens and I mean, huge mm. amounts of greens. Um, yeah, nut butters, things like that. So right. avocados, I have a lot of good fats and so I incorporate mm. it. I do have ghee because, you know, you can't study Ayurveda and not have ghee. I try right. not to. I that, that ghee, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got in trouble for it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and you eat rice and grains? Uh, I do. I have red rice because it's tridosha, so I prefer yeah, and so for me, like they'll always say, what whatever the grain is that gives you energy, and for me, mine's quinoa. If I eat quinoa, right. I'm like fired up. I feel great. <laughs> and so for me, I can have quinoa, and then we have quinoa pasta, and so we change it up that way. Because mm. I love to cook, I still have to keep mm. it exciting in the kitchen. So there's there's so many different things that we can make, and you know, it's it's just obviously you're you're in Sicily now, but you don't you don't eat gluten, so you're you're yeah. not not taking up the uh, various offerings of the italian uh, kitchen right the pizzas and the pastas but have you are you what what dishes do you like there have you come across things that you've enjoyed yeah there's a few i mean we don't eat out all that much but mm. we're I'm, I'm getting better i used to be incredibly traditional there we just because Saraswati was like, don't eat outside, you don't talk to me. <laughs> There's all these different rules in my family, some parts of my family. So I went through this whole phase where I wore white and made my ghee and did puja every day. I still do the pujas. I just don't wear white anymore all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, there's a few. I mean, mainly we just have like grilled vegetables, or they'll they'll make a dish for us. They'll make a risotto once in a while. We'll have a white rice or something like that. Okay, yeah. Um, so you do allow yourself to to make an exceptions now and again. Of, of course, yeah. yeah because I mean, do you still have a glass of wine? Once in a while. Do once you? Once in a while, yeah. Do you get a really good one when you have one? Do you keep go? You know, make sure it's like not the house wine, like you know, kind of Chianti yeah, 1966. This- it depends yeah well right. yeah that would be nice and like it depends right if i'm if i'm the only one gonna have a glass of wine no because <laughs> it's just gonna sit there so you know it's yeah once in a while i think it's it's a it's an i've always saw wine as an art form and so i've looked mm. at it like that and that's why i always have right. textbooks right. and I yeah, kept yeah, it yeah as as a study of art and that's how i've always yeah. thought of it so yeah yeah i think of it like this I've got to ask you though, just a st- yeah. silly question. What, what's the what's the largest amount you've paid for a bottle of wine? <laughs> um, oh, jeez, I don't know. I used to get a lot of gifts from from reps and and customers and things because I worked in high end restaurants. So, hence that seller being, I think, I don't know how much I paid. Lasted you well. Lasted me yeah. well. I think the most yeah. expensive bottle in that collection was probably. No, I guess by the time we sold it, it was probably worth sixteen hundred or two thousand. Yeah. yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, and then, you wouldn't and want to drink that all at once. Yeah, no. Then there was like six hundred, and like there. I could never even open those kind of bottles. I could never do it. You know. <laughs> yeah, life was very different. It was just like it's, yeah. it's strange, never, never land. Like I feel. I don't even feel like that was my life because I. It was so yeah, yeah. extreme and. It was just this, I'd fly around the world and um, I was practicing yoga to manage the stress from this job. Mm, and then mm. it's just somehow, it just completely flipped. And now I sit it on the flipped. floor barefoot most of the time, you know, discussing yoga and helping people <laughs> get back into How long has that been? How long, how, long, how long have you been this in this change of life, let's say? Ten years. 10 years yeah yeah and so you had the, the clinic for a number of years and then in the last two years if we just kind of go to the more modern the current yeah. you're you're in sicily as i mentioned and yeah. after an aborted attempt at going to australia for rob's job i believe then you came to the uk and decided that you probably go somewhere nicer yeah. <laughs> for yeah. my son here at least <laughs> exactly yeah. so actually it's a let we left i left vancouver with the 2010 olympics right yeah. after that so that means it's yeah it's almost 12 years um time is flying <laughs> and then yes so we lived in Mysore we were I was in Mysore for five years and then um yeah Rob got a great job opportunity and we hummed and hawed we never planned on leaving Mysore and I wasn't planning on leaving Saraswati just the whole thing wasn't planned upon um and all my other teachers my philosophy teachers there and mm. my Carnatic music teachers there everybody's there um, and Rob's teachers in Pune, the OP Chuariji. And so, yeah, we, we ended up going over to the UK to take this job opportunity while we, we paused in the UK while we were going to Australia. And then there was a bump in paperwork. And then we had to start again. And that process would take four months. And so during that four oh, months, COVID happened. Like, that's so strange, isn't it? How things happen. And then COVID happens, and then you're stuck in well, stuck in the UK, and you can't get there. And then yeah, right, and then the end. Right, are you gonna are you gonna go back to when are you gonna go back to see Saraswati? By the way, can you get back to India? 
I can, I mean, I can always, could have always went because I have a citizenship. Right. Um, I just don't feel it's safe. I don't, you know, I have a lot of friends and all my teachers are still there and it still doesn't feel safe enough to travel. Right, uh, right. It's not, it's not quite over what's happening. But right. This thing, okay. so, yeah. So staying put um, for now in, in Sicily. Staying put, maybe in June. I think I'm contemplating okay. June. Yeah, June, July right. is, is when we're, we're thinking about it. So we want to go see all the teachers. Yeah, see Saraswati and then see Tiwariji. Yeah. And so... Do you think you'll stay there for? Do you see yourself staying in Italy for the longer term? Yes. Yeah. We 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 went back and forth with this idea many times, and we have a new rescue pup, um, Mia. So we have Chintu from India, and now we have Mia. So we have two. So it makes it harder. Our family there. Yeah. yeah. Makes it yeah. much harder to transport the family. So if we went back to India, um, it's hard on the dogs too. That that journey is quite tough. Um, so I think we're I think we're here. We've decided that we'll be here. We'll go to India continually. We'll still go twice a year like we used to when everything resettles. We're close to Rob's family and we're we'll open a shala. So I'm looking for a space. Oh you get to right, okay. Whereabouts yeah. are you in Italy, by the way? It's time. We're in Sicily. Yeah, and whereabouts in Sicily? Uh so in like San Sant'Alfio Giare. So it's Catania, but we're um, closer in the farm country because we want to, we have a little okay. small piece of land and we've just Excellent. been planting. Yeah. There's just so people get an idea. So when they, when you find a place, they know where you are yes. and come straight down and, and, and bring a bottle of wine or something. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully come to practice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part of my life is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mucking around. For a little bit when, more, more yeah. in the earth and pranayama. Yeah. <laughs> Some chanting. Just a, just to finish on our interview, I mean, it actually kind of goes hand in hand. Well, give me, give me a, a, one inspiration and one guilty pleasure. Well, we won't talk about the wine anymore. One inspiration. Yeah. No, it's okay. <laughs> one inspiration. You've got so many inspirations, I know. So many. Mm. I think, you know, one of a really beautiful inspiration. Wow, there are so many. You know, I have to say, um, I'd have to say Lakshmi, Lakshmi Ranganathan, my first uh, yoga therapy teacher. And of course, for Saraswati, of course, she's an inspiration. But I think on on this, the reason that I, I love, actually, you know what, there's a similarity between the two of them, um, between Saraswati and uh, Lakshmi, is that this dedication to their teacher. So... When you hear Saraswati talk about her father, it's just like all this, you know, complete dedication to the teachings. And mm. well, also, me, she learned of Krishnamacharya, didn't she? I mean, people don't know that, but Saraswati did. was directly from Krishnamacharya. She studied incredible. with him twice. Yeah, yeah. She, she showed me the the the, the certificate. Um, yeah, the certificates. Yeah. So she yeah. she went twice with him, and she's like, yes, and she's. She's beautiful because she's quite groundbreaking in what she's done and being mm, the first mm, woman to absolutely. teach women. Mm, mm. And I just, I find that incredibly fascinating. And I love Lakshmiji, I think for her motivation and I mean, you know, to be the first uh, female teacher also at KYM and to, you know, just continue this teaching. She's a cheerleader for women and women's health. And she's taught me so much about that as well. And I think this whole concept of, um, talking about women and women's health instead of just usually it's to the wayside it's like oh don't worry about it everybody's okay and it's just mm, there's mm. there's so much more to it and um 
yeah, I think that the just this continual learning, you know, having this beginner's mind. And I think that's what I like because both of them will have a beginner's mind. Saraswati, I remember I was learning a new song and she said, what am I learning? And I, I told her, it's a song, Adi Shesha. And she said, sing. And so I started just singing. And she says, now you teach me. I said, Mataji, I do want to teach you a song. And, she, and we did. We learned it together and we sang it every day. Nice. <laughs> and so I think that, that the beautiful childlike nature and that beginner's mind that all of my teachers, actually, I have to say, Bhagneshwar holds the same. All of my teachers carry this, this um, genuine nature and, and uh, sweetness about them. That's that's probably what's most inspirational. So I couldn't say just one because I can see all of them, even Tuariji. Tuariji calls me Taraji, and I'm like, please don't call me G. <laughs> all right. Now, the other question I'm most intrigued about because you seem very upright, rather, <laughs> rather straight lace, maybe. What's your guilty pleasure? You must have an Achilles heel somewhere. Guilty pleasure? My cuddling with my yeah. dogs? Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> this is a guilty oh. pleasure. Um, what do I love? Let's see. My husband made gluten-free lasagna the other day. Let's see. I don't know. I don't have, like... <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. We're back it around. Lovely. All right. Well, next time, maybe for the next time, <laughs> find, or find, find a guilty pleasure. But it's been really wonderful to chat to you, Tara, and you're actually very inspiring to me. So thank you for your time. And uh, you, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Nice to be with you and talk to you.